Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fugue Forethought, the podcast. I'm Alan, and that was Berg, Albin Berg. Um, that's going to be our intro music, probably, from now on. That is his suite for clarinet and piano. Uh, if you've looked at the website, www.fugueforthought.de, fugue, F-U-G-U-E, then you've seen uh, that just a few days ago we started a new string quartet series. Uh, for the weekends. That string quartet series will eventually be not just string quartets, uh, but we're starting it off now to kind of get a few things off the ground with the blog. I've been doing the website for about two and a half years now, and one thing that we have never done on the blog up until this point was Bach. He is a very famous composer, obviously, and it is about time we get around to giving him some attention. So uh, to kick off the string quartet series uh, on the weekends, we're going to start with Bach. Um, now, we're going to start not with string quartets, but with some of the uh, most common or most well-respected uh, string literature, the cello suites. Now, uh, uh, almost a year ago at this point, I came across a campaign on Kickstarter um, of a young Australian cellist who is going to tour Australia to perform these suites in a very unique capacity. So today I would like to invite him onto the podcast to talk about not only the pieces themselves, but also his experiences with them. So today we're going to welcome cellist Richard Narraway. Now, if you've listened to the previous episodes, uh, this one is a very similar. It's a, Hopefully it sounds like we're in the same room, uh, but we are not. Uh, he is in America and I am not. So uh, let's just jump into the conversation. Richard, how are you? Hello. Good. Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, so some of the stuff that we kind of talked about talking about um, are like huge topics kind of to themselves, these cello suites. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I think could be a, a topic of its own for, for quite some time. Um, yes. but, but that's kind of what this episode kind of coincides with. I, I'm doing the best that I can to, to write some articles about the cello suites. Um, in like a very quick little summary, what can you tell me about or like share like your feelings about these pieces having worked with them uh, the way you have? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I think first and foremost, uh, these cello suites are simply what they are, just dance suites, suites of dance movements, um, each one preceded by a prelude. Uh, and in the, in the most fundamental sense, that's all they are. Um, I know that a lot of people tend to try to uh, identify certain narratological um, uh, interpretations within the within the suites themselves. And obviously as a cycle, they tend to lend themselves to this kind of interpretation. But I think uh, I hesitate to do that myself. I hesitate to find any kind of specific meaning um, sure. in each suite because I'm not sure that's what Bach intended. <laughs> and I think for, um, as I said, first and foremost, I think they're just beautiful, simple and pure pieces of music that, um, at the time were perhaps kind of an exploration of what the cello could do as an instrument. Sure. And, and I, so I have, I have like zero technical or, or, or musical knowledge kind of of the, of the pieces themselves, but I, um, I checked out a score from, of the pieces from the library and, and looked at it as I listened to the, and there's something 
just generally kind of mesmerizing about just the the process of kind of following the score and listen to the music and like you said it, it it's incredibly simple but one of the um maybe initial impressions is that they're almost a little bit like etudes from the standpoint. Oh, you know absolutely. Is, is that uh, could you say that well you know um it's funny that you mentioned that because uh historically speaking there was a certain period of time when the suites, along with the violin sonatas and petitas, were um, seen to be uh, etudes. They, they functioned as etudes uh, for some reason. I don't know, because maybe they, they contain all sorts of technical, uh, technically difficult things like chord breaking and string crossings and uh, all those things. And it's very pure music, so you can work on uh, things like intonation and pitch and all, right. all, all of that. And even, even if you look at a bunch of treatises, some people... Um, some famous uh, musical figures uh, wrote of these suites as being the best kind of uh, instruction tool as a string player, uh, the, the best tool to, to learn the fundamentals of string playing and to fine-tune them. Um, but that being said, I, again, I don't know if that's what Bach intended. Uh, it would be a shame to, to simply view them as etudes because they're so beautiful. You know, right. so, it's such glorious, sublime music, and to to simply categorize them along with um, many other mechanical exercises. Not not saying that etudes are mechanical and dry, but I I feel like that would kind of miss the point and uh, of and what that, they are of what they are exactly. Yeah. Well, it's some of them. Um, just just the first the first two, for example. So number one is kind of this like the the prelude of it is kind of quoted and you hear it in like tv clips and all sorts of stuff everywhere um and and it's kind of a sunny bright the disposition kind of overall over the piece is is a bright one but that contrasts hugely to the second one that's that's you know in minor um but there's there's sections of it that i think individual people maybe of no experience with classical music would think that they're none of that sounds like music especially maybe like the sarabands that are very slow Oh, you mean like some people might find them to sound kind of bizarre? Uh, well, so for example, like some of the the minuet or the was it the Quran? Some of those that are faster and do have this almost kind of infectious pulse to them. But I yeah. think maybe some people wouldn't listen to it and think this is something that people would dance to. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. Again, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, historically speaking, again, I would I would. Uh, not hesitate to think that um, they were viewed as uh, dance pieces. And I'm sure people were very familiar with uh, the different kinds of dances, in particular the minuets uh, right. and perhaps like the bourree and the gavots and things like that. And I've read plenty of books where they, where they delve into the specific choreography of such dances and how this may have influenced Bach's own writing of the suites. But that being said, um, it would be ridiculous to even imagine certain people dancing to say music nowadays. Now that you have like hip hop and dubstep and all that stuff, it it doesn't really make sense. And it it would be kind of difficult um, to, to find some kind of consistent uh, choreography that matches the beat pattern of say the Alamand of the six suite, uh, which is just so uh, uh, intricate and, and long winded. Um, that, that, that's funny. I was going to ask uh, about the sixth because of 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 the kind of the set of all of them. It seems to yeah. be the one that stands out as being almost just a little bit 
unique or strange or odd or whatever you want to do. It kind of stands out from the group. Yeah. And is um, it, it was written later or it was written, you know, potentially for a different instrument or what? The, uh, the historical background of, um, of that particular suite or of the suites as a whole, uh, kind of vague, uh, people don't really know when specifically they were written, right. but, um, in terms of the six suite, it was definitely written for a, a five string instrument. That's what we know for sure. And this instrument wasn't a cello. Uh, it could have been, uh, in the cello family, it could have been a violin, cello piccolo. It could have been a viola de composer. Both of them being smaller uh, forms of the instrument um, with an added E string on the top. But right. I think the reason that this suite sets itself apart from the rest is simply because, yeah, it, has, uh, it was written for a five-string instrument. So because of that, it's much more virtuosic. It's much more difficult. Uh, it's much more complex in its, in its polyphonic sound world. Sure. And it, yeah, so, so even from the standpoint of, of me never having touched a cello, it, it seems like it from listening to it, that after kind of coming through the other five, that there's yeah. something distinctly different um, about that one. The, the reason why we're talking about the cello suites is that you recently had um, kind of a big, a big project surrounding them. What do you, um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I, uh, I can give you a short version. Of <laughs> sure. Just to give you like a snapshot of what, what I did. Um, but basically, uh, this past May and June, I traveled around Australia, which is where I'm from. Uh, I spent a few days in each of the major cities. Um, not all of them, but, uh, Sydney, Darwin, Alice Springs, Adelaide, Melbourne, even Orange. And, um, the goal basically was to present the complete Bach cello suites and, um, and, uh, six Australian compositions along with them in a bunch of events, a bunch of concerts, uh, masterclasses, workshops, things like that. And I guess the, um, the overall goal of the endeavor was to make a, a significant uh, and lasting impact on various communities around me. Sure. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very successful and it was, a, it was a really wonderful endeavor. Um, and throughout the process, yeah, I got to work with, several students with with parkinson sufferers with elderly uh, uh it was really really wonderful time well so i so i found your your kickstarter campaign was the was how i kind of found out about this and that was the thing kind of that that made it um i suppose the most memorable or the most kind of kind of inspiring was wasn't you know it's not just a series of uh recitals or whatever but it was it was at um nursing homes or different locations, you know, with folks with disabilities and that kind of thing that was, um, you know, I guess studies and things recently about kind of the palliative effects of, of music, uh, in, in therapy or different situations. So that was, that was really cool. I can't believe it's been a year ago coming up on. Uh, almost. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of sad to think about it like that. Um, uh, because I still, I still have a bunch of footage that I need to uh, sort through and, um, uh, do something with and you know the clock just keeps ticking <laughs> how long was the tour in total uh it was 30 days in total spent about five six days in each uh in each place was it exhausting uh it was probably the most exhausting musical experience that i've ever um uh, i've ever had uh you know aside from the um the difficulty of having to play six suites on a consistent basis. This is a lot of music. Yeah. And I was several times. Um, I had no time to practice. I had events 
starting each day around 8 or 9 a.m. and uh, concerts in the evening, uh, 7, um, 8 p.m. and a bunch of things in between. So I never really had that much of um, a chance to practice, uh, which I was used to doing. And uh, it was just a lot of traveling, a lot of driving, flying. Um, it was a it was a real uh, really great uh, uh, plunge into what I might expect in the future if that if that's what I want to do. Sure, sure. Well, I remember you said something. I want to say it was an article that you wrote something on Facebook or something about kind of the the mentality of of jumping into a concert and like not having practiced and how you kind of approached <laughs> that. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, uh, something that it was kind of frustrating throughout the tour because I would oftentimes find myself uh, running from an event to another and then uh, an hour later having to give a recital of, say, three bark suites. And usually, usually in the past, when I have a formal concert of that kind of um, nature, I would, uh, I would spend most of the day, you know, warming up, practicing, fine-tuning things, doing a lot of slow practice, mentally preparing for a concert. But uh, with this particular experience, I... I, did, I simply didn't have um, that luxury and I had no idea what was going to happen half the time. Um, but the, the good thing was that I was playing these suites uh, fairly frequently, even sure. though it may have been in informal settings or in, in workshops and things like that. So even though I didn't get to practice them as such, I still got to uh, practice performing them, which is right. perhaps the most important thing. Interesting. And is it, is it just a monstrous program to do all six in one concert? Uh, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm used to doing it now. I've done it a, I've done it two or three times, but um, I've done several concerts of half the program, three suites. Uh, that's uh-huh. long enough. That's already that's already two hours, and I can already sense that the audience um, after three suites has had enough. Uh, sure. But performing all six suites, that's um, that's kind of a feat in itself, and that's something that I wanted to do my whole life and nowadays that well, the last the last couple of times that I've done it it's been uh, so gratifying you know it's some of the most gratifying kind of um performing because it's it's such a journey to go from one through six it's it's like three hours of music yeah and uh with a lot of talking in between and what made it even um uh, what made it even more significant was the fact that it wasn't just six weeks I was performing I was performing six Australian works in between, uh, interspersed throughout. Right. Uh, so, so that made it even longer. It was like three to four hours. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of music. Um, yeah. yeah. By, the, by the sixth week, I was, I was stiff as a board. And so the, the modern, the Australian compositions were also uh, solo where they had piano accompaniment or? Oh, no, it was, it was all unaccompanied. All solo. Um, yeah. The, these Australian works, uh, four of them were commissioned uh, specifically for the project, and I, oh, awesome. I told, yeah, I told these composers. I said, um, "Could you could you write something that kind of could fit as a as an echo of of each respective suite?" And I assigned each suite to a different composer, and the stuff that they came came up with was really fantastic. In fact, uh, audiences tended to love those pieces more than the, the Barca at some point. Yeah. Really? Because of approachability or kind of the... Well, uh, it might be something to do with the brevity. You know, there were only two, oh, sure. three minutes each and they were full of unusual sounds and uh, interesting techniques and and uh, and there were kind of palate cleanses. They were so different to the <laughs> Right. 
So, you know, just the whole uh, innovative aspect. Oh, that's cool. So we'll, we'll have a chance to hear some of those maybe as well in the, in all of the, um, as kind of part of, I guess, what's coming from the tour, right? Cause I haven't, I, I haven't heard or, or, or even, I completely forgot about that, that whole section of the, uh, of the project. Oh, you uh, mean, you mean the album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been working on that for a few months. It's a very gradual process, but the, the goal is to release an album of the six weeks and, uh, and hopefully a companion release um, of the six Australian compositions. Very cool. Very cool. I remember actually it was just, was it this month or last month that um, Stephen Asurlis, who, whose cello suites is the kind of the recording that I've been, I've been listening to yeah. pairs, pairs the box suites with uh, Kurtag composition. Oh wait, he did that in a, was that in a recording? Or was that in a live performance? And he just a couple weeks ago or last week, he was in Wigmore Hall. Um, oh. I think, I think he's done it before. I want to say I've read about it, but just in a recent recital, he said he's paired the, the cello suites with kind of these very different compositions, similar to what you said, where they kind of, they, he says that he thinks that they work together very well. Um, yeah. But I know nothing of, of Kortag's music. Um, Neither do I. <laughs> but uh, he, he talks about kind of the same, the, the compare and contrast aspect of it. Um, in fact, you mentioned... Uh, was it? It was the Asterlis recordings. You said they're very close mic'd, right? They're, they're incredibly close mic'd. I, I started uh, listening to them, and the clicking at first kind of drove me nuts. But I, but I got used to it, and I, I love the recordings now. You, you mean the clicking of the, the fingerboard? On the fingerboard, yeah, because it's oh, yeah. so it's so close. It seems. Um, yeah, I, I got used to it. I, I think he was. I think he was going for a, a more intimate kind of atmosphere because the the convention with these recordings is that cellists love performing them in in very resonant live church spaces and 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 it just sound, it sounds more glorious like that right. um and it's perhaps easier to record so it props to him for doing it in such a uh in, a, in such an intimate setting because it must have been uh far more difficult and, and more frustrating i i can imagine no so i so i as i kind of got used to them those are the ones that i would i would read the the scores with and then it, it kind of you got used to it and it went away and i i love i love those recordings i met him uh, a couple years ago he was actually here in taiwan he played uh one of the kabalevsky concertos okay which one or two i think it was two i think okay. it was two um which is i guess a less common you know it's usually haydn or dvorak or elgar or you know, yeah. one of those. So it was cool to have something different on the program. And he's a super nice guy. Super nice. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. He's, and he's full of character and personality and he's a really a great artist. Um, I actually had uh, someone, I was chatting with someone just earlier and they, they asked me to ask you about mm-hmm. modern cello concertos. They said, aside from again, Elgar and Dvorak, um, are there any modern cello concertos that, that should be more in the repertoire that, that, yeah, uh, absolutely. It depends how contemporary we're speaking. But um, there are so many great 20th century concertos. I'll get to those, but I'll start with the more the very recent ones that are not so played are not played so much and are worth hearing. Um, and something that I've recently studied and examined closely was the Ludislawski cello concerto, which is uh-huh. which is just fantastic. I would highly recommend. Uh, digging out a recording of that piece or, or a score, even it's just it's it's a masterpiece, uh, and it's and it lends itself to narratological interpretation because it's it's so programmatic. Even though 
even though I'm not sure if that's what he was going for, or wanted, <laughs> but um, but it just the piece lends itself to that kind of interpretation, and because of that, audiences I find tend to love it a lot. Respond because, to it, yeah, they re- they really respond to it, um, and yeah, that's that's something that I would listen to. But then, in cool. addition to that, there's there's also the Ligeti cello concerto. There's also the uh, all the 20th century um, monuments with with Prokofiev, and you have uh, Shostakovich one and two. I love the Shostakovich concertos. Fantastic, and you got the Britain Cello Symphony, which is um, which is a little harder to relate to, but it's it's also a fantastic piece. I really love Britain's music. You know, there, there's a wealth of contemporary uh, literature and. and I recently even found this Inescu Symphony Concertant, I think that's what it is. Um, And I'm not very familiar with Inescu's uh, works, but this is a, it's a very interesting, interesting piece. And is it, is it just that kind of, there's those few like, uh, you know, the Brahms, the Dvorak, that kind of just take the spotlight over a lot of other stuff that people maybe aren't as familiar with or... Well, you know, maybe it's something to do with um, the whole notion of uh, a non-acceptance with the unfamiliar, you know. Sure. Uh, uh, I'm sure the Brahms and the Dvorak and the Elgar and Schumann, those have been played for uh, for many years and people people are quite familiar with them now and, uh, you know, they're full of rich melodies and and wonderful musical journeys and there's a lot to... Um, a lot to grab onto or uh, um, remember when you hear a performance like that. But these these other concertos, uh, I think uh, they're the concertos of the future. And I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if uh, in uh, a few years that they'll begin to um, program these concertos much more often. And and those are some works that I have not yet heard. So I will have to, I'll go off and uh, and listen to them. A couple months ago, yes. uh, I heard Gary Hoffman was here and he performed... Um, it was a concertstück or something of um, Dohnani. Oh, is that right? That's, it was that's Opus that's 12 or something. And, and it was, I had never even heard of the work. And uh, he, I, I, I talked to him a little bit about it. And he said, yeah, it's like rarely, it's not often played and whatever. But he suggested it as kind of a, a you know, it's a concerto layout. Uh, and he said he loves it. It was a really interesting piece. I myself am not familiar with it. I'm, I'm familiar with a lot of Dohnani's chamber works and i recently found a cello piano piece of his which is very beautiful uh, so i wouldn't be surprised if it's a very effective piece uh, i'd love to hear it in fact actually there is a the reason i asked about the bach suites earlier is because there is a i think there's a, a recital coming up here of someone doing all six kind of in one sitting but i think it's in the concert hall not the recital hall but um okay is so that the nice thing it's uh it's here yeah it's here in in local in in taipei it's just big i don't know how how that works like you said the the resonance kind of it lends itself to the to the pieces but um yeah. i'm not sure how how that will work in our concert hall no but i i think i'll i'll, I'll go anyway probably just to just to hear them hear them live um yeah. you have another project <laughs> that you've just started that you uh you said you would you would talk to us about locally Oh, okay. Yes. Um, well, this chamber music project is actually the uh, the brainchild of a clarinetist colleague of mine. His name's Josh. Uh, he's a fantastic uh, musician and friend. And and we um, and I've been assisting him with the process. Uh, I don't want to take the credit for it because it was it was his idea in the first place. But, sure. Um, but yeah, basically, our uh, 
goal with this project is just to present a, a chamber series uh, in the Michigan area, which um, isn't really a thing here at the moment. And, um, you know, there's no excuse for that. There, there are so many wonderful uh, chamber works that deserve to be played uh, um, by great players. We have great players here too and, and uh, a music-loving community. Um, sure. so, so that's basically the goal. We, we want to present these works in uh, intimate spaces, not so much concert halls, uh, more, um, you know, uh, more as if, um, you know, if we travel back a few centuries, like the way chamber music was written and intended to be heard, that's, that's the goal behind it. Right. Um, and in addition to that, we want to do a bunch of, uh, outreach events and, um, workshops and masterclasses and things like that just to, uh, to encourage the the youth of tomorrow um, again with with the musical endeavors or with whatever they whatever they hope to aspire to, and that would be awesome. That's um, there's something I think people even even in a big you know concert hall symphony setting, bringing someone into the concert hall and and being there in, in live music, nothing compares to that in my experience with folks. I've dragged folks to the concert hall before, and it's it, there's something different you know about uh, the live experience. And that might even be more so with, with something like chamber music that's more intimate. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, we, we're not totally going for that, uh, that approach where we, um, where there's kind of a disconnect between right. performers and audiences. We want to get to know our audiences. We want to talk to them. We want them to ask questions and we want to get to know them on a, on a deeper personal level. And that's, that's, um, hopefully what will happen. Well, very good. And and where is this happening? Well, I'm currently based in Ann Arbor. Uh, okay. This is where um, things are uh, starting to kick off. Um, but hopefully, once we um, once we gather more funding, then we'll be able to uh, spread about the state uh, further around uh, the country, even. But it really, it's always a gradual process, and sure. things take time. Things take funding more than anything. It's just, it's <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, that's that's the tough part. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, but it's looking promising. Cool. Is there anything on the uh, on programs so far, repertoire, anything that you guys are thinking of of yeah. uh, working on? So thus far, we've only um, we've only uh, planned one program, one concert. This is kind of the uh, the premiere concert where we um, basically tell everyone what, what's going on, what we're about, and um, since the roster is still kind of uh, uh, slim. Uh, we've we've limited it to um, two uh, monumental works, but uh, with with small instrumentation, strings and and perhaps a clarinet. We're doing a Mozart clarinet quintet, which is oh, a, nice. a masterpiece, and we're also doing um, a Beethoven string trio, uh, Opus Nine, the G Major. Oh, yeah. yeah, three of those. Oh, that's and cool. Those, uh, those are also gems. So really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, the the clarinet quintet's a wonderful piece. Absolutely. Well, very cool. So that would I would I would love to uh, to be around for that. But it's a bit far. Uh, that's something we don't get much <laughs> here. Is is a lot of uh, chamber music. But we actually uh, here locally have, like last year we had the Vienna Philharmonic was here, the Munich Philharmonic was here, Berlin Philharmonic is coming. Uh, we have some great local orchestras. Um, but it seems strange, like you said, that chamber music would be the thing that's lacking because of of all forms of, you know, any kind of performance music, it takes, what, three or four or six people instead of, you know, 60 or 70 and the conductor and all of that. Any reason you can think of? 
You know, it's it's really quite bizarre. I mean, the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center is a is a huge thing in America at the moment, and they right. they they're traveling internationally and um and they're doing just fine. I think there's so much room for uh, aspiring younger artists to to actually um, do something with their goals and plans. You know, there are so many people my age who have these aspirations to uh, present chamber series and festivals and, and give performances like that. But it's just a matter of actually doing it, you know. Sure. And it's, it's, it's obviously easier said than done, but um, all it takes is a couple of people, like-minded individuals, to actually work together and, and make things happen. And, and, and then the possibilities are really endless. And, and I think that's, um, that's the way of the future. It's bringing chamber music to... Uh, all corners of the globe. They're they're very significant works, and and even orchestra music, in a sense, is chamber music. It's just you have more players. I think every sure. I think everything. What we need to remember is that every kind of medium uh, in the in the classical music world, or in well, in the music world in general, everything is chamber music. Even sonata uh, sonatas by Beethoven. That's chamber music between a violinist and a pianist, or right. um, or uh, yeah, duets. Trios, quartets—all of these things that are some, in some sense, change. Sure, even the kind of the earliest symphonies, like Haydn symphonies, Mozart symphonies, sound still very chambery. They're they're kind of smaller yeah. scale. We uh, another question about the the Bach the cello suites. You said like the, all six of those kind of in one in one sitting is I guess yeah. for, for length of time is 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 tiring. But uh, how is that challenge different from say performing a, a concerto that's you know very virtuosic and mm, well. The thing the about of you having maybe kind of a backup with the orchestra as opposed to to nonstop solo just you situation. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing about Bach solo works is that it's literally all eyes on you. You know, uh, there's no there's no orchestra as you said um, to provide support. There's no piano. There's no percussion. Um, <laughs> there's no voice. It's literally just a lone individual with an instrument with the simplest of musical materials, uh, trying to create a, a wonderfully polyphonic contrapuntal sound world with, um, yeah, just with that one single-lined instrument. And when you think about it, it's really, it's really fascinating, but it's also very difficult because oh, sure. um, all, all of your own bad habits, all of your inconsistencies of sound, all of your inconsistencies with pitch, uh, all of these are naked and, and there to be heard from from uh, the public, and and because of that, a lot of people shy away from performing Bach in public because it's just it's kind of scary. But for me uh, personally, it's I've never really felt I've never really thought of performing Bach like that because for some reason I've always had such an affinity to um, Bach's style of writing, and I don't know if that's because I. I played his well-tempered clavier on the piano when I was younger and I oh, well. I've been playing his suites for many years. But I, for me, performing Bach is, is one of my favorite things to do. It's just so spiritually gratifying and it's, it allows me to really connect with the audience on a, on a deeply personal level in a way that I can't really if I'm, uh, if I'm performing a concerto with an orchestra. Sure, up on stage with the, the, whole, the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And so, so the kind of the in some of the the research or the reading that I've done about the works, like you've like you've expressed, they're kind of a holy grail kind of of the repertoire, a bit of a sacred yeah. 
thing, but they but they weren't always that way, were they? Uh, no, as you said, I mean, they <laughs> at some point they were even seen as attitudes, unfortunately. Um, and even nowadays, uh, I'm sure some people still might feel the same way. But the fact is that any serious string player um, tends to uh, view these works with the utmost respect, and uh, and these are kind of seen as the Mount Everest of the uh, solo string literature. And it's, it's a monument, uh, just a vast objective monument that's always going to be there and um, that we must uh, return to throughout our lives and always grow, uh, grow with, you know? And the kind of the interpretation aspect too, like the, the actual, well, there's no autograph score, right? But like the, the notes from, um, kind of interpretive markings and things are, are pretty bare bones as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the four manuscript sources that we've been left with, um, as you said, there's no original manuscript in Bach's own hand, but the four that we have, two of them are anonymous and uh, one of them is by his wife and one of them is by a close acquaintance. Um, all of them contain errors of all, all sorts. And it's really frustrating. A lot of the markings are very careless and uh, you have no idea if they intended uh, uh, some slurs to be uh, put in other spots, or I don't know. It's like it's really tough to know. You need even if you have a magnifying glass, it's just it's really difficult to discern exactly what they intended. And because of that, cello suites are uh, open to much more interpretation than the violin sonatas and Petitas, which have an original in Bach's hand. Right. Uh, very envious of okay, at least we have something sure and so the the kind of the interpretations in different recordings will vary tremendously because of that different people's kind of well you know a lot of it is because of that but a lot of it is also um just uh, to do with one's uh, personality with one's understanding of baroque performance practice with one's um uh willingness to embrace uh, this kind of understanding. Some people just really don't uh, don't agree with it. They they prefer to uh, perform these suites with a more nineteenth century um, foundation of uh, string principles. So much smoother playing, much more sustained, much more singing with vibrato. But um, if you if you are the kind of person that uh, likes to dig deeper into baroque teachings, into baroque treatises, into styles of playing from that time then then the sound world is completely different things have changed and i i think it's worth delving into this um into this area because it the because it's just so gratifying uh and it's again it's endless and you there's so much to learn um and the music gives you back so much more you know and so i i'll try to I try to go on to that side of the spectrum and really immerse myself into Baroque uh, understanding. And, and is there a point in kind of the study or analysis of it where you just have to say that's enough and kind of put it away and leave it be? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you can, you can definitely get tired of things. Uh, uh, my, my kind of growth with, with the suites goes in waves. Uh, sometimes I'll just, I'll hit a wall and I, I just, I don't know what to do. And I just end up playing it uh, kind of the way I'm used to playing it. And sure. And this is kind of sad. I prefer to continuously grow with the music. And oftentimes I find after taking a break and coming back to them, I'll, I'll discover so many more things. And, and that's the beauty of it. There are just things to discover all the time. And, and maybe not in a, maybe not an actual perf- uh, a live performance setting, but do you ever get a wild hair and just decide like to try something a little bit different from what you've, how you've kind of approached it in the past? 
Absolutely. I mean, throughout <laughs> my tour, kind of danger in that. <laughs> well, throughout my tour, I performed the suite so many times. I played the first suite uh, an endless number of times. So, um, so I got used to you know, I, I, it was just second nature to me as part of my blood. But uh, quite recently, a couple of weeks ago, I played the first suite in a public performance in upstate New York, and I hadn't really performed it in a while. And I decided um, when I was going to go on the, uh, go on stage, I decided that I would just I would play it in a completely different way than I'm used to. I, I was going to take different tempi. I was still going to serve the music. I was still going to phrase it the way I understood it should be phrased. I was sure. still going to um, do all of that. But I decided that I wasn't going to play it the way I usually play it. So I, I took very different tempi, and it, and and it was really kind of interesting to play it like that and experience that because I, I saw it from a completely different angle and it was still just as effective, but in a different sense. And that's, that's the beauty of Bach. You can, you can, if once you really know a piece, once you've played it that many times and then you can have the flexibility to do that. And that's really wonderful. Fascinating. I would, uh, very, very jealous of all of that. So that's, um, some insight into all of the things that you've been doing. You're uh, very busy. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, at this point, I feel kind of lost if I'm not doing uh, if I'm not doing something with myself. If I'm not sure. uh, doing a project, I, I really need to uh, keep myself busy. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's more fun that way. I would imagine, kind of coming off uh, an Australian tour and and everything that's going on. Once you kind of slow down and come to a halt, it's almost a little bit unbearable. Like once you get used to that yeah, that, that pace. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's something to be said about that uh, that kind of lifestyle. It's it's almost uh, it's almost like a drug, you know. You just want more and more of it, and you you want to keep uh, uh, you want to keep doing that. Otherwise, you feel kind of lazy, um, which is you know which may might be a good thing. Uh, of course, that's not saying that I I don't have downtime. I, I always sure, of course. The time where I'm not really doing so much because that's I think that's also essential to just take a step back take your foot off the accelerator and just reflect on on what you've been doing and what you want to do in the future God, I can't believe it's been a year I know oh. isn't that crazy isn't that crazy I, I don't like being reminded of that because it's, <laughs> the clock just keeps ticking really. you know it seems easy to us right you buy the album and it's the you play it once and it's done but but not exactly so, not so I mean there's just, there's so much that goes into it anyway. There's so much listening of of endless numbers of takes, which I'm currently doing, and and which is at, um, which is oftentimes very frustrating because you you hear all the all the crap, you know. You, you got to get rid of all <laughs> bad takes in there and choose the best ones, and it's not it's not always the most flattering process because you hear yourself at your worst, you hear yourself at your best. I, I I'm just not the kind of person that can um, that can just produce five golden perfect takes in one go I, I'm, I'm gonna yeah, I but i don't think there's a i don't think there are a lot of people that uh that can kind of do that i think you know there are some even like conductors who didn't so much like the recording process because of of its ability like carry on loved it for its ability to kind of produce this incredible polished finished magical result that maybe doesn't reflect uh, reality, you know, the concert hall kind of situation. Exactly. There's, there's something more magical about live performance, uh, that you just, you miss in a recording. But I mean, the, the plus side of a recording is, as you said, you get to, you get to document this permanent and polished product, uh, which is really fantastic. And people can listen to it forever. 
Well, awesome. Thanks very much for uh, having a little bit of time to to uh, chat about all of the projects and things you have going on. Yeah, thank you. So that is all for our episode today with Richard Narraway. I'm sorry if that ending seemed a little bit abrupt, but uh, in the actual kind of closing in the recording that we did, where I said, thanks very much for coming, and he said, thanks for having me, and all of that, after that was all over, we kept talking. And so I uh, actually worked some of all of that stuff back into the episode kind of in places where uh, it seemed like it would fit so it all made more sense because we ended up talking actually for a lot longer than this. I was really excited to talk to him because I feel a little bit intimidated talking about these pieces in the articles that I'm writing. So I was glad to invite a professional uh, to chat about them. Now for all the boring stuff, uh, we are on iTunes as the Fugue for Thought podcast. Check us out online at www.fugueforthought.de. And if you find us in iTunes, subscribe, leave a comment, all of that kind of stuff. Um, my information, uh, as well as Richard's information for his uh, Facebook and uh, YouTube and all of that, will be in the description of this episode as well. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. And if you have any questions or comments or want to get in touch with me to chat or say hello, then use the email address in the description of this episode as well and say hello. That's going to be all for now. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.